Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. We're doing episode 13. Are we? I thought the last one was, are you sure? No, I'm not. But Caleb told me that he could fix whatever I say. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was pretty sure that we said. I thought it was a dozen last time. So I am pretty sure. Okay. Lucky, lucky episode 13. Welcome to lucky episode 13. This is stories your soul food. I'm Brian Cole. (laughs) (laughs) That's Nate. I'm Brian Cole. Identity theft is not a joke, Nate. (laughs) did not mean to be insensitive to all you victims of identity theft out there. I can't possibly understand what you've been through. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I like it. I like that intro. We're off to the races. Yeah. I want to talk about what you do when you find a bad book. Mm. And and so, I guess the question is- How um, bad? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, there's there's a sliding scale. Yeah. The bigger bigger question I want to talk about is something near and dear to our hearts, which is the issue of- censorship and whether we Christians censor things. Okay. And I think we should ask you specifically, have you ever censored anything? Depends on what you mean. For your children. Oh, for my kids? Oh, of course. I mean, I think I've referred to VidAngel a lot on this show already. Right. So, I have censored quite a bit. I have turned off quite a few words and skipped quite a few scenes uh, in films. Then as far as books go, yeah, I've absolutely withheld certain books. Right. I think there's an asp or a part of, you know, the conservative blood that riles up at the term censorship and then realizes that that's what's, that's what parents do. Yeah. Should we just call it discernment? Yeah. And I think it is that word question and the distinction without a difference. I mean, er early on in this little adventure we refer to as our podcast, we talked about being picky eaters. Yeah. And that's part of that. So the goal is not to protect your kids from bad stuff. That's not the goal. The goal is for them to develop an immune system for themselves so that they can self-censor, just like I do. Right. You know, there's things they don't read, there's things they don't watch. Right. And any mature, healthy adult is there. Any immature or unhealthy adult who who doesn't have the ability to self-control or self-censor their consumption has, you know, alcohol issues or eating issues or right. book issues or yeah. movie issues or pop music issues. Like you just can't say no. If you're that baby bird, if you're a vacuum and you intake anything, that's a problem. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what right. genre of thing it might be. If you intake anything, it's trouble. So when we talk about censorship, it's funny because everybody censors to some degree. But we take turns apparently on which group is upset. <laughs> so, you know. Left wing oh, versus librarians versus rednecks. Is that what we're talking about yeah, right now? I mean, over, yeah. over the last couple of decades, whenever, well, I guess it's been a decade and a half of my career. Whenever censorship comes up, it's always my liberal friends who are freaking out and they're upset that some conservative moms group is trying to censor something mm-hmm. in some public school library in Topeka somewhere. Right. You know, censorship has been this, uh, the monster under the bed for, for both sides, where conservatives are wanting to censor things and liberals are accusing them 
of being uptight Sunday school teachers. Right. And then on the flip side, you know, <laughs> the degree of censorship that's currently going on is kind of off the charts. As a publisher, I've experienced it the other way. You get the person who says, oh, because of who you are and what you stand for, none of your books should ever be read by anybody. Yeah, uh, ever. You yeah. must be turned off. Yeah. Uh, we need to hit the big button that causes you to cease to exist. I am curious why they think, why the disconnect happens where they say, yeah, censorship is bad, but if I censor you for everybody who doesn't have a brain, is that what they think? Or is it they, they're worried that there is content here that looks intriguing and really isn't? You have to realize that as a rule of thumb, nobody ever tells you the truth ever about, <laughs> about their motivations. Yeah. And it's not that they know the truth and withhold it. It's that they actually don't know what they're getting out of it. So what, what is somebody on Facebook getting out of the experience of calling for uh, a book to disappear, a book to cease to exist, for this author yeah. to lose their contract? You know, I, the, that woman who wrote the, I don't remember, I should remember the title, the book that was sort of contra trans orthodoxy at the moment, you know, yeah. lo loses her publishing deal, loses her, you know, loses her book deal, loses her contract, publishers pull, they censor her, they're done. Right. Whether or not they have the right to do that is a different discussion, but they do it. It happens. What are they getting out of it? What, the, what are they, the publisher getting out of it? It's like, well, they're, they're negotiating with terrorists. Yeah. They're paying a ransom, right? They're throwing somebody over the walls to save themselves and their other titles. So we wouldn't so have their, their motivation is there. And then some of them are getting the same thing that the random Facebook troll is, which is a sense of superiority and righteousness. They're getting yeah. a little whiskey shot glass of faux righteousness yeah. out of being outraged about something else. So we wouldn't have any problem with a publisher not publishing a book. No, of course. But... But what we do have a problem with is someone not publishing a book and then lying about the motivations or the reasons behind. Right. I mean, I, I've now had, I had one contract for a project where as times they kept a change in, <laughs> they came back and said, hey, we want to amend the contract. Amend. Yeah. Let's amend it by mutual consent. Let's amend it. Otherwise, we're going to kill your project. <laughs> So, how is that? How, yeah. is that how consent works <laughs> mutual, yeah, so, with contracts? So, we're going to go ahead and amend this contract. Here's the paragraph we need you to sign. Uh, and it was astounding. But basically, the gist was if I was accused of doing something that in their sole discretion they in any way believed was detrimental to their brand in any way, they had the right to then seize all my intellectual property and own it forever. Wow. That sounds like a sucker's deal. Yeah, right. A, so, moral, a moral turpitude clause by people who do yeah. not, who'd base their morality on the mob. Yeah. And actually we fought long enough over it that it made it like they, we got lots of cocked eyebrows of suspicion. Like, what are you trying to hide? <laughs> like, you, oh, Just sign you, it. Just why can't you it. just sign this? Like all the other authors have signed this. Um, they've all signed it. What's wrong with you? Uh, what's, what are you, what's in your closet? <laughs> um, you know, response being, I don't like the idea of being accused of something which gives them a financial incentive to believe that accusation and take my stuff, take all my stuff. But worse than that, they didn't have to believe the accusation. The way the clause was written, I just had to have been accused of anything, which is, you know, with social media now, the case always everywhere. You will always there be is, accused. There is no one on, well, on this planet who's writ written anything that doesn't have somebody accusing them of something. So yeah. unless only their mother has read it. But, um, so yeah, that was that was kind of interesting because we we fought hard on that and it went all the way up to the CEO of that corporation, went all the way up to his desk. Mm -hmm. 
uh, to come back down. And I got one concession, which was if author is accused and after an investigation, it is determined that the author has been accused, then we get to take all your stuff. Hmm. It's like, can I at least be guilty? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, can we, could I be guilty of the thing that damaged your brand as opposed to the thing that I'm, you were you know, accused of that damaged yeah. your brand? And then, it, and so we fought about that. And then also moving on from there, I asked, I had the naivete to request instead of confiscating all my royalties and taking all my intellectual property, can they be donated to charity? Hmm. So you're at least not financially incentivized to just rob me. You know, you won't, you won't actually financially gain from doing this. And the answer was no, of course not. No, you may, we may not give your royalties to charity if we find you to be in violation of your moral turpitude clause. But the there fact is, I know a lot of authors who are of the more, well, an older generation, the hard drinking, you know, the auteurs, the guys who wanted to be taken seriously as creatives, which means they're downstream from Coleridge mm -hmm. and Hunter S. Thompson, and they want to be these hard-bitten artists. And they're sitting here astounded at moral turpitude clauses at all. They think it's partly their job to act like rock stars. They're supposed to trash hotel rooms and misbehave. I remember one time you said that's the reason people want to be writers, right? Right. It's because it's, it's a, the celebrity status yeah, that doesn't require you to be 6'8". Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, a, a reason, a reason why many, many tens of thousands of people want to be authors is so they can achieve fame and fortune without musical ability, good looks, or athleticism. <laughs> it's like, it's seen as the every man's path to fame and fortune, <laughs> you know, the every woman's path. And then I had a National Book Award winning author tell me, like, don't ever let anybody tell you that you're famous. That doesn't matter if you've been recognized. It doesn't matter. You're, it's like being a famous botanist. It's like, if you're, if you're a famous <laughs> author, you're a famous botanist. I was like, that's, that's fantastic. So best-selling author, your books are great. You're, you know, doing yeah. big media things. You walk down the street, how many people stop you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> zero. <laughs> right. So, and you could do that with, I mean, it'd be very, very few authors who would get stopped on the street. I mean, very few. Totally. And then it turns out that the path to fame and fortune requires a lot of hard work, just yeah. like everywhere else. Sweat and lack of sleep and other things. And Nightmares. moral turpitude clauses. Moral turpitude clauses where you say, really? This is the choice we're being given? And the, th the thing is, as far as censorship goes, I want to circle back to what I think is the important point here for parents, which is if you are censoring things for your children, as you should be, the goal is not to keep mud off of their, you know, Rain boots. They're rain boots. Yeah, exactly. You actually want them to have rain boots and you want that to be where the mud is. But um, you should be looking to scale up their interaction with darkness as they grow and trying to make sure that their brains are active and they're engaging with it. And you're trying to train them to the point where they will make wise and mature decisions without you. Mm -hmm. not, you're not trying to manipulate or guilt them into stuff. You want them to come to love certain things, love the lovely, hate the hateful. You yeah. know, you want them to despise things that God despises. So but, how, how many people, how many parents out there have to, you know, struggle with, you know, issues of their kids eating too many vegetables or eating Brussels sprouts too much? You know, it's like, that's not usually what we have issues with. Uh, it's going to be the sugars, the fried foods, the things that are easy, lazy pleasures that require our self-control. And that's the same thing with entertainment. Mm -hmm. So you want your kids to be picky. You want them to have discernment and you don't want to be judging them or being upset at them for having read something 
you want the that had bad stuff in it you want to know how they reacted to it how they responded to it and if they hated it like oh i hate this then fantastic mm-hmm. you want them you want them to hate things they should and you want them to love things that they should so what if they like it then you have a problem and then um, what what you'd want to go about and there's and diagnosing that's a, that's, yeah, and that's analyzing a, that's, a, that's a big big problem so it's and it depends obviously there's a lot you could you can't just sit where we are sitting and say here's right. what you do about that right but it does that does tell you like oh gosh and you mm-hmm. don't scold them you have to train their tastes mm-hmm. which means you're gonna have to roll up your sleeves and give them more positive experiences okay so you i know. was i grabbed i took a look at the top best-selling middle grade stories right now you know the one and only ivan which mm-hmm. is that disney plus film it's been one and only Ivan's been around for a while. Right. And yeah. uh, it, it's at the top, I assume, probably because of the, yeah. the movie. Um, and, then, and then some of the other ones, you look at that sort of desire about a gorilla who's been in a cage his whole life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there'd be a positive way of, es- of looking at escaping cages and then a way that that can also be weaponized into discontent with yeah. everything that you have. Yeah. So, when you're heading, when you're looking at your kid reading a book like that, I mean, I assume you'd have to read, <laughs> a parent would have to read the whole thing and be able to interact with their kid on it, right? If we're talking middle grade, eight-year-old to 10-year-old reading the one. Yeah, if you're talking about eight-year-olds, then you definitely want to have your sleeves up already. If you're talking about 10 to 12-year-olds, they should be mm-hmm. reading a lot on their own and telling you all about it and you right. asking questions like, what was good? What was bad? Yeah. What do you think is, is there anything dangerous about it? Is there anything false? Is yeah. there anything true? So just keeping their brains active in terms of is it true, is it false, is mm-hmm. it good, is it beautiful? Yeah, um, and you you would like your kids ideally to be telling you this is beautifully written, but it's full of lies. Yeah, or this is totally true, but man, the writing's awful, and that really like betrays it. Mm-hmm. You know, its whole project fails because the writing is terrible while the message is true. Right, and you want them to have that kind of pickiness, but you don't want to be terrified of them ever having ingested something that is not perfect mm-hmm. you want them to have the ability to spit stuff out yeah you want them to have the ability to say i'm never reading anything by that guy ever again so because i did okay. not enjoy that and you really do want to yeah. train joy train pleasure with them so we all know that there's experiences with your parents growing up or with friends where you're like man that was awesome like mm. that we this experience was great and this is what we do at fourth of july this is what we do at thanksgiving what do you do around books as a family what do you do around good books? Like what role? That's a great question. What role do they have in your house? Are they punishment? Mm. Do you do you punish kids with them? Go to your room, read a book. Like <laughs> you have to go read, and that's not always bad. I got sentenced to many reading rests by my mother <laughs> when I was bouncing What's off the re- walls. Oh, oh, I see. And the thing that was great about a reading rest is it was never negative because the alternative was a nap. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. Yeah, it was punishment, but it was actually always clemency. And so, associating reading a book in my bed, you know, because yeah. I have to, I'm not allowed to be in the living room right now because I threw too many Legos at my sister or something, drove too many nails into the wall, whatever it may, it may have been. I associate that with clemency, with like, okay, this is better than it could be. This was always, it was always fun. But if you just try to punish your kid with a book, then you're programming them. Okay. Um, we, we, there's a kind of a, alcohol addiction treatment called aversion therapy okay where you know you inject people with a chemical that reacts violently to alcohol and then you let them drink 
the stuff they were hooked okay, on. Okay, I'm only just, I'm only familiar to that with Tintin and the Pickaroos. I yeah. believe calculus puts that in yeah. Haddock's food. And so, so just yeah. really horrible, really horrible stuff happens, and it's awful, and like it keeps getting worse and worse. And the question is, what aversion therapy are you running on your kids? Like, and it better not be the it, one against yeah. good books. It yeah. better you better not be creating aversion and dislike of good books. And you do want them to react against bad stuff. So what so, are some ways you do that? Nag, I mean, you mentioned the one of using it as a punishment. I, I would assume nagging and constant sort of uh, niggling to get somebody to do something. So uh, do, do a hypothetical example here. If you have yeah. little kids and you, have, you read aloud and you read them stories and you read stuff with them. And let's say you and your infinite wisdom have picked a book that's awful. You didn't know. You believed the wrong person. You know, that high school friend on Facebook said it was great. And, and you and you jumped in and you started reading it aloud to your kids before you knew. And you get about, you know, chapter three and story grip is kicked in and all the kids are hooked and they want to know what happens. And then you hit the awful stuff. In a Netflix show, it usually happens in the second act of a series where they, they lace in lots of bad stuff that will, you know, like there's, there's just content there that they want you to swallow as opposed to lead with they're not leading with it because it will deter you they want to get the story so it doesn't going. go on the pilot it goes in episode two is that is yeah that episode saying? two episode three yeah um and there's different times these other networks like they'll front load all the gross stuff in the pilot episode because they're trying to hook a particular audience and then mm -hmm. that will all go away because they just it's expensive and it's hard and <laughs> nobody really wants to be doing it so any but anyway back to my hypothetical you're reading a story to your kids and you hit chapter three and you think oh gracious like we are not reading this anymore yeah this is, this is bad and we're done. And your kids are, oh, like they're hooked. We want to know what happens to the dragon, you know? Yeah. And you're sitting there thinking, eh, oops, dad fail, <laughs> you know, or mom fail. In that moment, you have to realize that the problem is what you're catechizing in your kids. Are you now creating an experience where you've just created longing for a bad thing and you're now that, that ghoul? who took something pleasant away from them. You know, it's like, you're just, you just walked into a trap. <laughs> you know, mm. you're just, you're the guy, you're the girl who has these little imaginations all teased up and excited. And then you are that horrible, you know, buzzkill. No fun allowed. But yeah, party pooper. Like this was too much fun. We're stopping. And like, well, that's all that's going to do is set up a yearning. That's going to last a lifetime to read those kinds of books that their mom, that their dad, would slam shut and ruin the evening about. Mm. You know, it's like they want to get past that curtain of the ruined evening and, mm -hmm. and find out what that glorious evening would have been like. You know, that's going to be ingrained. So in that moment, if you find yourself in a position like that as a parent, it's like, man, that's the time to tell everybody to jump in their pajamas and we're going to McDonald's for ice cream. I mean, it's like- You, 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 you got to be in control of the mood. Yeah. Not, yeah. So we're putting this book down and it's going to be more fun now that we just put this thing down. Like you cannot become the not fun- <laughs> like the not fun parent about books. Right. Oldest parent trick in the book is the, you know, close the book on the cliffhanger, come back for tomorrow. I can see how yeah. if you close it on a cl cliffhanger, but don't intend to come back, that would be extremely be, frustrating. Yeah. It'd be hateful. Yeah. And you do that more than once and it just, you know, it's, it's going to be a real problem. So in that hypothetical, you find yourself in that situation. You got to go really make sure that, uh, that you've not just ruined something. You got to keep, keep catechisms going the way you want them to go. So if you, again, imagine if you know there's a ton of entertainment out there 
in which there are wriggling caterpillars. You know, there's a ton of salads out there full of worms mm. and you're scared that your kids might eat one. The goal is for them to identify, to be picky enough, to see it for themselves and to be repulsed. Not for them. Like you don't want to end up in a situation where the kid's like, I hope this has worms in it. <laughs> like, <laughs> man, yes, there's a worm. I'm going to eat it real quick before mom sees. Yeah. You know, like, and and uh, to connect our, our metaphor, our analogy, we're talking worms. Worms would be content that's inappropriate or uh, attitudes that are sinful. Right. Emphases, escapism, the bad kind that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, escapism, escapism that creates resentment, uh, resentment of their lives. You right. know, you want to take them on real adventures, real tromps. You know, it's like go looking for critters. Go get out in the world, have fun, have your life, have anti-fragile adventures in it where things go wrong and you don't freak out. You remain joyful. Right. You know, adventures and, and times together when you are a good character, like when you, the parent, are yeah. a good character in the lives of your children, you know, and by the time they're an adult, they'll be looking back saying, man, how did mom stay so calm? Now that I have kids, yeah, yeah. I understand how stressful this is. How did she stay so joyful? and mm -hmm. calm when things were going wrong yeah. how did she not explode on me when i dropped a whole gallon of milk and you know just blew it all over the kitchen you're telling a story with your life you're telling a story with the context in which you read together you're telling a story when you send your kid to bed with a book you're telling a story when you keep saying lights off no stop it you know mm. who are you being yeah. um, and it's careful because kids do need bedtimes yeah <laughs> kids and you have to just, you have to navigate right, the this. The censorship so you, we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, we're censoring this moment or whatever. So when they're little, you just keep them away from stuff. And then as they're getting older, you want them to start to encounter it, but you want to train them so that they have already fallen in love with the good, you know, and they're falling more deeply in love with the good, the further they go. Right. And they're falling in love with the good through your own actions as a parent and how you behave toward them and toward your spouse and towards hardship you know, whatever you face, but they're also falling in love with it through storytelling, mm -hmm. your engagement with stories together, the way you tell stories, the way you're not terrified of them knowing things as they grow up or encountering worms in the salad. I remember, you want them to, because you want to, you want to be there when they say, I am not eating this. I remember one little Bible reading. You had to wait till the end, you know, whether you are allowed to eat your dessert while listening to your dad read the Bible or you have to wait till the end of the Bible reading. And then everyone's sitting there with the brownie and the ice cream melting yeah. and you're thinking, just get done with the Bible <laughs> as opposed to, right. this is part of, part yeah. of the situation. Yeah, we're eating the brownie and ice cream while we listen to the book of Numbers. Right. Especially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Extra scoops required for the book of Numbers. So, censorship is going to happen. Conservatives should not be upset when they see it yeah. happening against conservatives. People are free to censor worldviews that are right. uh, antithetical. They're free to function with their private businesses. Don't be surprised because Christian publishers do the exact same thing and should. A conservative publisher should censor certain behaviors. They should have moral turpitude clauses and it shouldn't be a shock to us that alternative worldviews that have a different view of the world would also want to police their own blasphemy codes. Right. They don't want to spend right. their money and their time promoting something that's antithetical to them. So the mom who calls the school library saying, get this book out of the library, it would depend on- Which school? Right. Where are you? Yeah. You know, are your kids in a public school? Then <laughs> that's the bigger issue. Right. Because that's kind of this weird communal property that's- Right. Makes it difficult if it's your Christian school, if it's your homeschool co-op and you have a shared common- framework and worldview and you shouldn't be calling outraged and squeaky and feeling superior 
you know, but it's you, fine to say, hey, this book like, hey, is not I think the we best. Found, I think we found this thing. I think it's a little detrimental to people. I don't think it's great that people are reading this one. If you say that, man, that publisher Brian Cole works for, they publish something I disagree with, so I need to cancel them completely. Yeah. You should well, expect to yeah. read things you disagree with. It's healthy to read things you disagree with. And it's healthy for your kids to read things they disagree with. And right. they should start on that pretty early. You know, they should encounter it early and work that muscle, develop that muscle of how can you have mature disagreement with something? And then on the sliding scale, when do you shut the book and walk away? When do you finish the book and engage with it and discuss it? And it actually is really fruitful, even if it was false, because, you know, your whole discussion was. And when do you actually just get to eat the brownie and just rejoice that it was so fantastic? Yeah. One of my professors, this was a surprising thing to hear at an extremely liberal university, but uh, like Oxford, but she said, I despise fiction as a means of social engineering, which, and, right. and, and I think that's a fine line to walk when, yeah. when, when many people and many of my fellow classmates were treating fiction as this way that you envision the reality that you want full yeah. of no laws and no tradition and doing whatever you want. And then you jam pack that into fiction. Yeah. You impose it, your will. Right. As opposed to what we're talking about, which is really using fiction as a means to grow healthy souls. Yeah. Food. But, uh, but not in a way that's that mechanistic sort of remove this element here because I don't want anyone ever to think with their own brain. They need to think with mine. So, the, th the thing about that is uh, being opposed to fiction as a means of social engineering. The issue now is that the blasphemy codes are strong. So, the books that get banned right now are books that blaspheme the current rules of social engineering. It's not that they're failing to engineer society. Oh, okay. they're just they're That's just great. they're just blaspheming a new god. You know, it's it's not necessarily that people are trying to engineer society with their fiction, although many people are. They absolutely yeah. are. You just can't write stuff that will cut against the grain of the current agenda, whatever it whatever it might be. Which is too bad because it was nice to have for years that kind of false neutrality <laughs> <laughs> out there where they just wanted money. And they were like, oh, this is a good book and it's wholesome, but it will sell. <laughs> so we'll do it. Yeah. And now they need it to be a little, they need it to have some virtue laced in, virtue in scare quotes. Yeah. Many of the big tech companies were all about excellence for quite, quite some time. Right. You know, it was, a, it was, a, it was that faux neutrality, excellence. Yeah, excellence and billions. Right. <laughs> Whatever excellence gets us billions of dollars. Gold, golden touch. Yeah. So where we, where we are now is um, we would say we're not looking to engineer society with stories, but we are looking to feed people. Yeah. And that does, and in fact- And people engineer societies. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, that absolutely does it. And we're also looking to feed people. And I would never say you can only eat for recreation, not for nourishment and strong bones. It's like, no, there should be stories that are, they're good for you. Mm -hmm. Eat that. It's your vitamins. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, it's, we're, and that's scripture. That's Narnia. That's these like baseline, really solid, yeah. faithful works of fiction. And if you go through those things, you know, you're, you know, the kids are getting their vitamin D and their calcium and all that kind of stuff before you're reading stuff that's just whipped cream or M&Ms or, you know, you think about a, a fiction prof like that saying fiction has to be meaningless. Fiction has to have no use. You know, it has to be right. just recreational purely for pleasure or novelty or something like that. It's like, no, it needs, it needs to be protein. It needs to be carbs. It needs to be a, a well-rounded diet. Some substance. Yeah. And it's fine to have stories that are purely dessert. It's purely for fun. You're not going to leave it, you know, changed. You're just going to have had fun for a day or two while you read it. That's great. But it, it needs, you need other things that are like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of meat on that bone. 
you know, there's a lot of stuff to process and it's going to take some chewing and you're going to work through it together and mm-hmm. talk about the issues. And, you know, you know, your kids are getting, getting a really solid meal, not just a, a Sunday. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, your old story series. Yeah. We've had people really upset by the flavor that you've put, oh, yeah. that you've put in there. I, yep. And, <laughs> and I think that's, that's where we start to see the negative side of censorship because- And I think we've seen, well, I've seen it, I've seen way more people excited about the flavor right. that makes them see the Bible stories in a new way. Yeah, they as had, real things. Yeah, they, they're seeing the Bible stories kind of happening in a different context as opposed to just pinned to an insect collection. Right. You know, dead or with the dusting. googly eyes. I think everyone had, had seen, you know, for example, your Sword of Abram book had yeah. only seen Abraham as one of the googly eyed dress wearing guys, well, robe wearing, yeah. but seeing him as a real fighter who took down an entire army was pretty surprising yeah. for many people. <laughs> like, wait, did he really do that? It's like, oh yeah. And there's slime pits and everything. They all a fell whole, in and died. There's yeah. a whole big story. But anyway, it's those, those Old Testament stories. I think we have to tell them and we have to tell them in a way that, that makes them real and respects them with reality. And sometimes that means inventing stuff. Sometimes that means trying to put it in a context that is not inspired. Like you're saying, I think it may have looked like this mm-hmm. and it's going to play out, but it, it looked like, it looked like something real. You know, it was real. Maybe, yeah. maybe the, uh, you know, maybe the Nephilim looked a little different. Maybe the Nephilim were a little different, mm-hmm. but whatever they were in Genesis six, they were bad enough that the whole world had to get wiped out. Kind of like come up with yeah, something. Give me an alternative. For thought. Yeah. Give me an <laughs> give me an alternative because what when you tell the story of Noah to your kids, you should tell the story of Noah to your kids in which the, all the people on the earth were bad enough, and it was bad enough that when God killed all of them, it was good and righteous that He did so. Right. It was necessary. This was the right move, yeah. and most of our stories are going to fall way short of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be you know staying up past your bedtime and having right. too much to drink, like I said in an earlier podcast, and then God killed everybody. Yeah. Um, and so then you've now told a story to your kid about God, the great overreactor in the sky. You know, like that's, right. and that's not what you should be doing, by the way, side <laughs> note. That's, that's not the catechism you should want. So censorship, the spheres of authority, as a parent, yeah. it's your job to help your kids. It's your job grow to- Grow out yeah. of- the rules yep. or not the rule. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Got, yeah, grow, grow out you of want rules. them to grow out of rules into affections. So yeah. as you, as you raise them, you want them to grow into a place where they love certain things and they love the right things and they hate certain things. And they hate the right things. And you're not worried about needing to police their ingestion because they do. You've cultivated their palate. You know, it's like you've, you've worked with them closely and you've created joy and pleasure around the right things. And you've, so in high school, you if you've done your job, the kids are able to read Frankenstein, yeah, without absolutely. being polluted by that sort right. of obsession and should be with self. Like, be like, whoa, <laughs> this is interesting. What's being said, and they can actually start to break it down and interact with it. Right. And you can hand them other books too and say, here, it's important that you engage with this. Yeah, this this stereotype of the Puritans and the Scarlet Letter is that intriguing to you? Does it seem real? You know, the, yeah. Those, let's those, work through it. What do you yeah. know from history? <laughs> and, yeah. and then, uh, and even if this is the case. If this was historically accurate, what do you have to say about the fiction? What do you have to say about the story? Right. Um, so engaging with that stuff is really important and you want to move to a place where you are not at all ever having to chase kids with more rules the older they get, you know, and right. that is unfortunately the position a lot of parents are in with their teenagers. It's like, 
no, you may not. No, you may not. No, you may not. No, nothing over this rating, nothing here, nothing there. You know, you really, really want to, you just really want them to stand on their own two feet. They have to be their own adults. They have to love and hate things to their own taste. And yeah, they when they're little, mm-hmm. you, have, you have the opportunity to train their taste. But once they're older, you know, kind of, they end up on their own. They have to join us. You know, yeah, my dad brothers told and me sisters. really young, he told me, when you turn 16, you can watch anything you want. Wow. Um, I was like, wow. Okay. Interesting. He said, the only rule is you have to be able to tell me what it was you watched and why you watched it. Like, just be able to explain it to me. And uh, you don't have to ask permission. You have, like, I had blanket permission at 16 to go watch anything. And he added, and this is what scared me as a kid. I think it was 13 when he told me this, 12 or 13. He said, because if you can't make your own decisions by the time you're 16, it's too late and there's nothing I can do. <laughs> that like, is scary. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> Whoa. So, I mean, he was looking to train me, train my taste and train my decision-making, train my, uh, my own choices and my loves and hates. It's a great know? test. Great test for entertainment. Explain it to your parents. Yeah. Why'd you, why'd you read that? Why'd yeah, you, you watch that? You can read whatever you want. And tell me, but you have to be able to tell me about it. Tell me why you read it. Yeah. Um, Cause the sneaky reading, that's kind of a poisonous danger, dynamic. Danger. Poisonous yep. dynamic. Absolutely. And really easy these days with devices and yeah. No, I mean, that would have saved me plenty of pain in high school as you read, you know, if you read it, you read this book and just had to talk to someone about it, you'd know right away. Oh yeah. I don't need to read anything like this ever. I have to express this out loud. (laughs) I have to explain why this. Yeah. And I'm not going to get slapped for it. I'm not going to get punished for it. I'm not getting grounded. I just have to stand up like an adult and explain my choice. Yeah. And that's a... To state the theme of this book is to critique this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, anyway, as far as censorship goes, we can't worry about it, but censorship is not, it's not the destination. You know, self, self-control is the destination. Censorship mm-hmm. is a tool when they're very little and right. then it goes further and further away because you trust them to self-censor. Yeah. And I think that kind of wraps it up. If you have questions fired in, where do we, where should we have people send questions? Because as we've gotten through 13 episodes, surely there's things people want us to talk about. Right. I've seen one request for Veggie Tales. I think they should do it. Uh, they should use the hashtag on Twitter or they should message us on Cannonball Books on Facebook. If you have things you would like us and, to talk about, yeah. tell Brian. There we go. Out there while well, he still has a platform before the censorship kicks in. That's a topic for uh, <laughs> another time. In case we don't see you again, there were at least 13 episodes of the Stories Are Self Food podcast. <laughs> Until next time. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories or Soul Food podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, we want to ask if you would please leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're using. Those ratings and reviews help us get this podcast in front of more and more people. Cheers. Cheers.